0: You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at seroven.com. Welcome to episode two of our mini-series on how to garden. On this episode, we're going to be talking about sowing seeds, which for me and Sarah is something that we could not do. All of the glamorous, gorgeous photos, whether it's the vegetable garden, the cut flower patch, or actually the mixed herbaceous-type border, they're all interjected with vigorous annual sowing almost all through the year. And so we thought during this episode we'd really try and give you the basics of what every seed needs to become a successful and strong little seedling because it's very easy to not realise what a seed needs and you end up with something which isn't as strong and therefore it's never going to become a wonderful plant which you're either going to be able to harvest lots from whether it's a flower or something you're going to eat. For me, I haven't got a greenhouse or a pony All I've got are windowsills, and they are my propagator, erasuses if you like, full of light and luckily they've got a decent depth so I'm able to cram as many seed trays and pots into these during this time of year as I can. Whereas Sarah's got a polytunnel at Perch Hill and also lots of cold frames. So we thought we'd spend today talking about how you can grow a garden in both situations. Whether you're in an urban setting or in the countryside, you can honestly grow a cutting garden from scratch wherever you are.
1: And you can grow a veg garden too, Arthur. Don't forget the veg,
0: well, this time, yeah, I'm just thinking about the flowers. Pumpkins can come later, but we'll we'll get on to that. The
1: <laughs> thing is about Arthur is he only grows ornamental veg, so pumpkins make the grade and kale, perhaps, but the fact that they're tasty and you can eat them really doesn't doesn't cut the mustard with you, does it? yeah
0: and we're not we're not thinking about pumpkins until May, so um, yeah, yeah, I mean, they kind of come in afterwards. But the main thing is, for me personally, um, with seeds, is to sow a lot later than most of the seed packets would suggest simply because of the light levels in the house.
1: Yeah, because it's dark.
0: Yeah, if anything's sown now, in terms of like summer, it does become leggy because I can't have it outside much at all. Whereas in a cold frame situation or greenhouse, all that light helps these seedlings become really strong and you know, bulky, whereas the warmth of a room really does make things leggy. So when I see on Instagram... People going, oh, I've got all my seeds out, it's first of March. I do think you're being a bit early, Um, clamping at the bit. So what I'd say to anyone like me who's got windowsills is, sow sweet peas now, which are hardy annuals, and that means they can take a bit of cold so they can go outside, at least during the daytime, and then bring them back in at night. Whereas all your half hardies, the cosmos, sunflowers, marigolds, amaranthus, leave them until the end of the month, because that means that the weather's on your side a lot more. And it means they can have little afternoon holidays outside by the door, basking in the sunshine. And then you just bring them all in in the evening because there is a chance of a frost, even till the end of May. I remember last year I was bringing in all my half-hardies. It was almost June and we were getting late frosts. Yeah. So I don't yeah, know yeah. if Sarah's ordered Josie to sow all her half-hardy annuals already. I don't know.
1: But I don't um, order. For me, I've not I don't order, much. Arthur.
0: All right. No, I've seen your lists.
1: <laughs> I request. <laughs> I asked politely. <laughs> no, what you're saying about about the leggy thing really reminds me. I remember because I was a gardener when um, our two daughters were at primary school. I remember. Did uh, you order them to sow them all? <laughs> <laughs> we'll come on. We'll come on to slave child labour later. Um, no, but I remember uh, really well that it was always me as the mum that had to take the broad beans home from school just before for the Easter holidays and they'd Uh, always own their broad beans and they would they would hand me over this tray of the most pathetic what's called etiolated looking things because of course in the classroom it's really hot and it's quite dark even on a window ledge so these poor broad beans would already be practically a foot tall with only one leaf on them because they, they were just so drawn out so then all through the Easter holidays I'd have to really prove that I was worth my name as a gardener and get them to be really bulky and strong so that they could then plant them out in their um, in their little classroom allotment Sweet. after the holidays. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. So tell tell me what your favourite method of sowing is really. I learnt very
0: quickly, like a lot of people, when they start out not to sow a whole packet of anything. So I do find myself literally counting out the smallest seeds with a little scalpel so i only sow at, at the most 20 seeds of whatever i've put my heart on to grow that year yeah. because my garden's small i really don't need to sow 100 cosmos I'm not trying to fill a an on show public cutting garden so that's probably my best tip you know count out a baker's mm. dozen of cosmos seed and just sow that it's far better to have you know a really strong little flock of seedlings than have your whole kitchen table covered in you know these leggy collapsing things that are all desperate and fighting with each other for space so i would i would say to everybody you know think about how many plants you need to fill up your your cutting beds or your plant pots for the the show and let that dictate how many things you sow because i just don't have space to to grow more than you know 40 seedlings i honestly don't
1: no so you've got to be really picky my sort of rule to myself particularly when i was a beginner is treat seed whatever it is, like gold dust, be incredibly stingy and tight with it. Because you think the more seed you sow, the more likely it is you're going to succeed. But actually Mm. it's completely the opposite. The less seed you sow, the more likely those plants are going to bulk up really nicely and you're going to have really incredibly productive, strong plants to put out in the garden in a few weeks' time. And it's
0: interesting, isn't it? Because seed does, does keep for several years. You've just got to keep it properly, and, you know, in a nice airtight tin. And I always save those little sachets that you get with a new pair of shoes. I forgot what they're called. those like Yeah, silicon
1: sachets. Silicon
0: yeah. pearls things. Yeah. And they really help to keep the, the air in a in a tin lovely and never keep the tin in the greenhouse or in a hot place, you know, have it in in a drawer. Apart from sweet pea seed, I do find that most seed does last for you know several seasons once you bought a packet
1: yeah yeah well it's in um trials i think it's said with flower seed a batch of seed will lose 10% germination every year so mm. even in year 9 you will still get 10% that will germinate if you sort of I mean but it is uh, it's completely right that you want to keep them cold dry and that's what the silicon is it's a desiccant and really completely dry and Uh, So not moist. What you want for germination, I'm not explaining this very well, is warmth, light and moisture. And so if you want to avoid it, you want the the opposite of those three conditions. And that's why in the fridge with a silicon sachet in a Tupperware box is the ideal way of storing seed.
0: Mm. And then when it comes to sowing, Sarah, what would you say are the things that people sometimes get wrong but sometimes aren't sure about?
1: Well, the the commonest way of sewing, of course, most people sew into a seed tray, and I know you do that a bit. So why why don't you talk mm. about your tips for seed tray sewing, yeah. and then and then yeah. we'll come on to the techniques that I use.
0: Yeah. So I I use half seed trays, which are kind of like um you know a decent greeting card size shape, um and they're always of the thick plastic because I learned also quite early on that if you buy those cheap. 50p plastic seed trays by the time you fill them with soil and the second time you've moved them they're splitting mm. and the whole carpet's covered in compost and you're swearing it yourself at mm. eight o'clock in the morning before you've got to go to work so heavy duty plastic smaller than, than that. there's no need for me to buy a big seed tray because I'm only sowing as I've said a dozen or so mm. so nice heavy duty plastic solid seed tray I do still buy seed compost it's one of the few things that unfortunately when I'm at the garden centre or ever buying compost, I am still having to buy a seed compost with a bit of peat in because I do find that it's the best mix for me to get a good germination from.
1: Well, that's very controversial. So I think we need know, to talk about
0: it. <laughs> I know, but I, I've, I've seen your trials and I'm afraid, you know, remembering what I've seen, mm. um, the total peat-free mixers at the moment just aren't doing it for me. I've tried them mm. here, you know, I had borage last year and it just did not develop a root formation mm. and I know Josie would back me up on that so yeah sadly I am a bit of a red cross when it comes to that but hopefully in a few years time they'll get they'll get much better.
1: Mm. I mean I, I do think there are other things I think well obviously your own homemade compost is meal compost heap is fantastic but it's got to be made really hot so it's not full of weed seed mm. um, and then that can be diluted uh, with either vermiculite or even just washed in land sharp sand or horticultural grit or whatever. But we do use coir here in, instead of peat. But, I mean, there are mm. there are air miles or road miles or whatever. There's certainly travel miles associated with coir. So, but we are, we are entering a hornet's nest here. So I think perhaps it's just worth saying that, of course, you can also sow into the garden. You can direct sow and then you don't need any form of growing medium but the problem with that is you have to wait a bit longer and what I always think with direct sowing is you need the four or five t's and to get direct sowing right you need one timing and timing is basically with here in Sussex it's the middle of April and tends to be. Obviously, it changes from one year to the next. But how you know when the moment has arrived is when weeds really start popping up everywhere in the garden. So if weed seed is germinating, then you know that the seed you sow into the ground is going to germinate well. The next T is tilth. And if you're going to sow straight into the ground, you've got to make sure you've got a really nice crumbly top layer of soil. And I always think of that almost like apple crumble topping. But that doesn't mean that you have to prepare the whole area, the whole bed to that finish. You just can prepare just a bit where you're going to put the line, where you're going to put the seeds in, and that's fine. Or you can actually even cheat and you can put some potting compost or whatever in a line and actually just sow into that, and the seedlings will then root down into it. And the third T is thinning. So after three to four weeks, once the seedlings have got to, I don't know, a decent size sort of two or three centimetres in height, and two or three pairs of true leaves. Then you want to thin to the distance, as it says, on the back of the packet. And overcrowding is really important to avoid. You mustn't overcrowd because otherwise uh, things just compete with each other and they run up to seed too quickly. And the fourth T for me is tying in, and certainly for cut flowers and a lot of the veg, you then also do need to stake and support things and I tend to find, uh, you know, once a plant is at sort of forty-five centimeters, eighteen inches, it will need supporting. And so, something like a cornflower, I might even support it in two layers. But we're going to do another whole episode on on supporting plants, so we we won't talk about that now. Anyway, those are those are the keys to success with direct sowing. And I've rather um, had a monologue there, Arthur. That's all
0: right. I switched off. I've got no space to direct (laughs) sow here. No. It means nothing to me.
1: (laughs) And we actually do incredibly little here because we have heavy clay soil and we find we just don't get brilliant germination. But if you've got Mm. a wonderful loamy soil like Monty Don does in Herefordshire, you can direct sow happily and it will be a great success. But the problem is you don't know you failed until about six or eight weeks later by which time you've often missed the best window for sowing. So I have to say we do 90% of our sowing at Perch Hill undercover. And so I'm going to hand over to you now, Arthur, to explain which system you like best for undercover sowing.
0: So I've mentioned my, my half-sized seed trays, and I do sow quite a lot of things into into those but with that comes pricking out which some seedlings don't mind at all in fact with some seedlings such as cosmos i find if anything it sort of invigorates them to you know really get going with their growth but other seeds like zinnias would hate to be pricked out so for those i would go to something that sarah's used for years and really um, flies the flag for which is something called a jiffy pellet and the good news is these are totally free. They're made of coir and um, they look like a little, almost like a, a baked, overbaked chocolate brownie sort of thing I'd probably come up with if I was left to cook something for Sarah for tea. <laughs> um, and so you get them in a in a tray, a reusable tray, and each one is there flat like a a big penny. And you just add water to them. You could fill up your, in my case, I'd fill up my bath and just float it in you know, less than an inch of water. And each one of these little pennies would then plump up into a big, um, like, little sack within their little compartment. Then you can sow a single seed into each, and that means that whole little compartment cell of coya and compost, once that seedling's germinated, grown its first pairs of adult leaves, that whole thing can be planted out into the garden as its own little little world. And that means that things that hate root disturbance, so zinnias, nigella hates root disturbance, so I'd maybe sow a whole packet, you know, a little pinch of nigella onto each. And um, foxgloves as well. Um, mm. So jiffy pellets mm. are something that that I would use if I was sowing anything that hated being disturbed.
1: Mm. And the key thing is to remember to remo- remove the net. So in all our trialing here, that we've done um, experiments where we've planted a range of different things from a cosmos to a basil to a zinnia in a jiffy, and we've planted one row out with their nets left on. You know, what I mean those those sort of um, yeah, like it's a almost like a bag tea bag like, exactly. It? that holds the, the coir together. So we've we've planted a row leaving them on and we've planted a row taking them off. And the row where they've been taken off grows a third taller and better and bigger than the row with the net left on. And I think it's because they're designed to biodegrade, but it just takes too long for an annual. So they're fine for like a herb cutting or whatever, because the herb is on a slower growth curve. But with an annual, you do need to remove the net And actually, also, while you were talking, it reminded me of the child labour thing. Um, That's how I got into Jiffy's 20 years ago, is I had two tiny toddlers, one three years older than the other. But I really loved doing a little bit of sewing with them, partly because I wanted to get on in March and April, and there's so much sewing to do. And at the weekend when they were back from school, I would persuade them, and we would go down into the polytunnel for half an hour or an hour. And with the thing that looked like a chocolate brownie in a tray – i get them a white saucer and each of them were perfectly capable of putting one or two seeds into the dimple and in the top of each of the chocolate brownie. They became brilliant propagators, my two daughters, both (laughs) Rosie and Molly. So not not, not very good child labour, but I think they loved it rather. And in their 20s, I, I can sort of feel the beginnings of interest that maybe their early exposure... To these techniques has got something into their bloodstream somewhere, but I'm not, I'm not sure they I'm not sure they'd agree with me. And in terms of other systems, we also use gutters a lot here, but do you use gutters, Arthur?
0: I don't, mainly because of the visual issue yeah. <laughs> of having the drain pipe inside. I mean, it's a tiny house, and you know, my our kitchen windowsill is literally the the greenhouse, as is my bedroom windowsill. So I think if I was doing veg, maybe I'd use the gutter. I mean, I yeah. do save all the square-shaped plastic pots that I get because I find on a windowsill it really helps to have square things rather than round oh, because a round means you've got a gap in between each pot and yes. I just can't afford that, that loss of space. So I love my square pots. So, um, you yes. know, Root trainers is very good as well, which I sow my sweet peas in because they're very tight up against one another. And all the cosmos, when they get pricked out, so they go from a seed tray into a, you know, each one gets a nine centimetre square pot to grow in. So I'm sowing in batches really here. You know, I'm not sowing everything on one go. I'll sow the cosmos middle of April and some French marigolds probably after them and then cornflowers after them because they're really, really quick to grow. So I'm propagating really from the middle of April right up until the middle of June.
1: Apart from your sweet peas, which, which yeah, you do they've Yeah, they've
0: already been done. But, you know, sunflowers I do sow in June because I find that then they're in flower for October.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Whereas if I sowed everything in one go, it just everything would die. I know it would. There's just not enough space.
1: Yeah. And then you and then you would have blanks later on in the season. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no, I am. Um, that's such I never really thought of that because I suppose I'm lucky that space is not such an issue. But You've got lots having... of space, Mrs. yeah. <laughs> I've got lots of You're having
0: a new greenhouse built next year.
1: <laughs> I know, that's exciting, isn't it? Well, it's only because polytunnels are wonderful, but they're not exactly the prettiest things to look at.
0: No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want a polytunnel in a little garden, I have to say.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know. And do you put anything under your trays that you've got on the window ledge? So what, what's there to help with moisture retention?
0: Yeah, that, that's a really good point. My poor mum, there was one year where every windowsill was scarred brown. Yeah. So we 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 sort out very good heavy duty trays that fit perfectly into the windowsill. so that prevents any staining of the lovely wooden sill. And onto that tray, we use not newspaper anymore. We've moved on to capillary matting, which is mm. something you introduced me to. Which sounds very posh, and some people may say, "Oh, well, what do you need that for?" I do find it's a real lifesaver if you're going to go away for a long weekend. Yeah. Um, it just absorbs moisture. And makes it also look very neat in like a professional little greenhouse. Um, So I do like it for that. And you can reuse it as well. I just let it dry out at the end of the season. I hoover over it and it then just goes into a bag somewhere in a drawer. But I really find it helps, especially once the roots are coming out the little pots. You know, it just gives the the seedlings that security of moisture without overwatering them.
1: And you would always use that over like fine grit in a layer on the bottom of the tray?
0: Yeah. yeah Yeah. just chicken crits
1: okay and so i i just thought it's worth us mentioning which things we'd sow in which system so for Mm. seed trays we tend to use for only 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 for very tiny seed where you literally cannot separate them out so you have to do a little pinch and and with those again like you i would use half seed trays not whole or i would divide a seed tray with a little cane across it so that you know, it's it's just, it's a full size, but I've divided it in two. And I sow my tomatoes into those. So things like antirhinums I sow into seed trays because they're tiny and tomatoes I sow into seed trays because they're so expensive, tomato seed. That mm. I want every single one to make it. And to be honest, you do get more heading towards 100% germination rate with a seed tray than you do with any other system I find. Um, So with expensive seed, it's worth it. And then we use root trainers for any of the legumes like the sweet peas, or we're moving on now into beginning to think about sowing beans and stuff. And that's because it has a long, thin root run, the root trainer, but it also has those channels down the side which direct the root and that helps with rapid root formation. And then we use your square individual pots from the word go, so sowing straight into those for big seed seed. And you and mm. I have already mentioned in a previous podcast, a uh, Cabea Scandens, and so I would always sow those into individual pots. And one of the things we're going to sow in the next couple of weeks are courgettes and cucumbers, and both those I would sow into their own individual square pots. And then maybe finally we should just mention about the, the, the gustering, which I know you don't use, but we use a lot here, and we use it a lot for all our salads, herbs, and Quite a lot, actually, for things like the kales, which we're growing in such large number, and edible flowers. So nasturtiums, cornflowers, and calendulas, they all go into gutter pipes. I think that's pretty much all the ones that we use.
0: Yeah, I I think it is. I mean, just going back to the the seeds that don't like disturbance, I remember at Kew, I was amazed that they used to sow opium poppies of all things, actually, in seed trays. And they literally pricked them out almost as soon as those little seedlings had emerged. And that way they could grow the most gorgeous looking peony black beauty opium poppies in a pot. So there are things that, you know, you might think, oh, I can't prick that out. But I think if you if you are quick to prick them out, they they will cope sometimes. But not always. I mean, um, my mum loves Nigella, uh, but we can't grow that here because we've just not got anywhere to direct sow it.
1: no. Does prefer direct so no, but design.
0: you know, trial trial and error, and if you're not going to sow a whole seed packet, you can do a little bit of your own experimenting.
1: Also, the other thing that that we maybe we can finish on is just describing the layers if you want to make your own homemade propagator. Because I always find mm. those electric based propagators they just seem really quite expensive to me. Uh, so, like a three bay, I don't know, it can be a hundred quid or something at a garden centre. Yeah, I agree. Center. And so, um. You can get, I think, much better, you can get horticultural electric blankets. That doesn't mean taking an old electric blanket off your bed because then you're going to electrocute yourself because you're going to have a lot of water. So you want a horticultural electric blanket and that is laid on top of insulating tiles that you would put in the roof and so all the heat doesn't sink down into the ground but is kicked up to your seeds germinating and then we lay a layer of capillary matting on top of that and then the seed tray or gutter pipe or jiffy or whatever on top of that and then quite often if seeds like to germinate in the dark and it should tell you that on the back of the packet I just cut open empty compost bags and put them over the top and that keeps all the warmth and moisture in and excludes the light but if you do that over the top you must remember to look at your seedlings throughout March and April every morning and every night because in the previous 12 hours some will have germinated and then they're looking for the light and they're covered with this plastic so it speeds up germination but it must be removed as soon as there's even a fleck of green because they've got to start photosynthesizing so if you're not the sort of person who can be guaranteed to look morning and night then don't use the cover on top I've found by having a table here that um, I started, I made 22 years ago, and we've still got one of them, and we've added several more since. But by using that very basic homemade DIY propagator system, it ups the input from seed to garden by about a third. So you really speed up the whole pace. And that is, in a way, what it's all about. As, As you say, you want to have succession, but you want to have high production. So that, that's pretty much all I know about sowing seed. I don't know about you, Arthur.
0: I suppose the only thing I'd add is um, one of my pet hates is seeing it when people don't fill a seed tray or a pot to the top.
1: Uh, um, yes.
0: I think people often think they can scrimp on compost. I would always say fill your seed trays up, foot them down on the table and then fill them up again because your seedlings, they do need that mm. maximum depth of compost to start off in and I promise you that will help them. Because yeah. if you don't fill that seed tray up properly, it's amazing that the tiny bit of shade that the seed mm. tray will cause those seedlings—they'll be elongated almost as soon as they germinate. So that's my biggest pet hate that I see occasionally on Instagram, um, so and true, my biggest so true. thing to to say to everybody.
1: So I guess that gives you our guide to how to sow whether it be a hardy annual or a half-hardy annual. The half-hardy is always undercover. And of course, sowing direct as well, whether it be a veg salad or a nice direct sow hardy annual like a poppy. So I hope that clears up some things. But we thought we'd conclude this episode with just going through the things that are absolute stalwarts that you really are guaranteed to succeed with, that germinate quickly, that grow on quickly for putting out in the garden and that then flower with very little TLC. So Arthur, what would be your sort of, I don't know, top three or five for beginner gardeners?
0: Well, I love seeds that you can handle, which are quite big. Mm. Um, so if I was somebody who I knew was quite a lazy gardener, who maybe had a nice little front flower bed, wanted something which would last a few years, maybe block out the neighbours and dustbins, I would actually sow a biennial. It would be a hollyhock. Mm. Um, I've, I've said biennial. They're actually short-lived perennials, really. Mm. And they really do well. They like sun, but they'll do well on poor soil. Sow them any time early between April and June and they'll form a lovely little plant and they'll flower the following year and possibly for a few years afterwards and they might even self-seed themselves. Mm, Um, Lovely. Again, big seed-wise, if you wanted an annual display, I don't think you could beat sunflowers. Yeah. Forget the big dinner plate one. There's so many wonderful maroon ones, peach ones, um, multi-flowered smaller heads. They're becoming really elegant and in vogue. So if you have children, I think sunflowers are still quite hard to beat, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think I'd add to that, whether children or not, the marigolds, calendulas, Mm. Yeah. so the English marigold family, and probably my favourite of all of those is a variety called Indian Prince, calendula Indian Prince, with beautiful orange saturated flowers with a crimson petal reverse, which makes them slightly classier and more exotic somehow. And I think I would probably add one of the courgettes or squashes or pumpkins also for beginners because again as just as you say Arthur they've got big seed so they're really easy you can just you know whether you're a kid of three or four you could just poke the seed into a little pot of compost they will germinate don't overwater. get them out into the garden as soon as the frosts are over and then pick courgettes from about six weeks after that so a a squash much they take longer but they're they're all really lovely easy to grow seeds and I think not a seed but I would always plant a potato as a beginner and whether you're going to do it in a literally an empty compost bag or you can get special forcing bags for potatoes but there's something really wonderful about that sort of tombola thing of putting your hands in and picking out the tomatoes and um, tomatoes potatoes um and um And just one present after another. And it's just it's so exciting and so rewarding. You can't believe that one tuber's turned into sort of 20 or whatever it is, 15 or 20. So I'd recommend those, I think. And we can't finish the whole thing of beginner planting, sowing without saying you've got to plant a dahlia tuber. They look like a bunch of sausages hanging in a butcher or a delicatessen. If it's salamis, they look very like salamis, I think. And just get a decent-sized pot, again, peat-free compost, and just plant it. And I would plant them inside about six weeks before your last expected frost. So we tend to plant them last week of March, first week of April, something like that. And then they'll be ready as a small plant to go out in the garden as soon as summer begins.
0: What about your sweeties mix?
1: Oh, great final tip. Linaria morocana sweeties mix. So that was a nice one that I took. Molly, my youngest daughter, was living in Jordan in Amman and she actually asked for a packet of seed and she just scattered them straight into a window box on the terrace that she had in really quite a hot, sunny spot in a hot, sunny country, but she sowed them in March and within a month to six weeks they were flowering and she went on picking these lovely, delicate, scented things all the way through until it got really really hot in the summer so another great one i totally agree have we forgotten any arthur i think those are the
0: yeah i mean i think there are some seeds which are they love to be scattered so any poppies i'd say yeah. which i know they're popular idea. they don't like to be pricked out yeah and sweet peas to be honest are really easy as well you know again a big yeah. seed so yeah
1: great so that's it for episode two mainly on sowing a bit on planting And in episode three, we're going to really discuss how to sort of get your head around it all, kind of starting from scratch, how to kind of order your thoughts, your priorities, etc.,
0: You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at seroven.com.